0: this squad cast is like the most confusing. This is like every other interview, Ryan, we deal with some sort of issue and it's my fault. I should send like an instruction email beforehand. That's what I need to do.
2: Well, I probably, if I had more time, I probably would have read through the email to to see some of the instructions, but we just left the hospital, got home and uh, opened the email and just clicked join the session. Um, And then I was like, oh crap, it's not compatible with iPhone and we literally just bought a laptop just the other day like a couple weeks ago when i was trying to get this ups job and before that man dude i did everything on my phone so learning how to use a computer again is like it's like going back to school
0: well you have the dad stash going so dude. dads aren't good with technology you know no, no. so <laughs> dude it's it's part time baby let's go. you okay you just coming from the hospital
2: yeah yeah so my girlfriend has given me permission to to say this, but we are we are 13 weeks pregnant right now. Your boy's gonna be a dad. What? I feel like the stash is a little appropriate. Um. Yeah, man. I'm I'm super I'm super excited. I was really nervous at first. Um. Kind of scared, but then it kind of like yeah. actually I was in denial. To be quite honest with you, I was like, we need to take more pregnancy tests. Um, I think we bought out, we bought out the Walgreens and uh, then after like 10 positive tests, I'm just like, okay, like this is really happening.
1: (laughs) Congratulations, man. Thank you. We were like that with our first, and then you learn there are false negatives. There are no false positives. That's true.
0: That is true. (laughs) So when did you, was this your first appointment then, your first official appointment today? No, this was our second
2: official appointment. We had our first one at like six weeks. Um, just to like confirm everything. And then today was like the, they did another ultrasound. We did some blood work to check on like genetic diseases, like, you know, Down syndrome, uh, Mm -hmm. those kind of things. And we'll also find out the gender of the baby in 10 days as well. Wow. Do you want to find out? Oh yeah, for sure. And like, dude, I'm like, I always thought I would want a boy, but I honestly think I want
1: a girl. Not gonna
2: lie, I don't know if it's like the sensitive side of me coming out, but I kind of want a little girl.
1: I was the exact same way. Every guy goes through life; you can't wait for your son, and then you become a dad, and you're like, you know what? The most
0: dadly thing ever would be it would be to have a little daughter. Yeah, man. Yeah. For whatever reason. So now that you now that you've had time to let this sink in, man, like how are you feeling? Are you more excited? Are you still at full of apprehension? Like first time dad—that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I think there's
2: definitely some days where I even forget that it's happening because we're still so early in the stages that like, you know, I go about my day and then I'll get home and my girlfriend's like, oh, I was nauseous all day. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's cause we're having a baby. But um, Mm -hmm. it's kind of forced me to make some changes in my life. Uh, Obviously Mm -hmm. there's no racing going on. And that was like, you know, a primary source of income. So a baby on the way, I've had to make some, you know, career shifts, but I'm still training hard. and. Whenever racing does get back, you know, I'll hopefully be able to take some time off of work and, and still race. But for right now, man, it's a totally different focus knowing that, like, you're going to be providing for, you know, somebody else for pretty much the rest of their life. And, you know, I can't be selfish anymore. I can't just keep living this, like, just this lifestyle that, you know, has been just a really selfish one, to be quite honest with you. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a, it's been a, uh, that's the word I'm looking for. It's been there's a change happening and it's it's not easy, but I'm getting used to it. So
1: Well, you know, you and I talked in Miami when we roomed together for High Rocks, and you brought up how serious you were in your current relationship and with Sarah, and you talked I'd never heard you talk this way. I've I've known you for several years, but I've never heard you in that mindset. And right away, I don't know if you remember, I'm like, hey man, you're gonna be a dad soon. <laughs> and you laugh, you're like, no, nah, <laughs> not yet. I'm not ready. But like the, 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 the shift had clearly occurred in your mind that you were ready and open to the idea of marriage and kids and that next step. And as soon as that shift occurs, you're ready for it. So it's, I'm happy for you. You're going to make a really good dad.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And it's like, yeah, you can never like, you never think that you're going to be ready for something like that until maybe you find the right person you know, that kind of shifts your mentality Mm -hmm. to to wanting those things. And, um, yeah, I don't know that you can ever plan for it. Like it's not something we necessarily plan to have, but we weren't taking any preventative measures from, from not making it happen. So the fact that it, (laughs) the fact that it did happen, it's just like, okay, like this is what we're doing now. And, you know,
0: let's do it. You were not, not trying as they say, right, right. Something something like that
1: now. How are your families with this kind of thing? Since you guys, unless you eloped and I didn't know about it, you guys aren't married yet, correct?
2: No, we are not married yet. Um, My parents, I would say are kind of, they're like, you know, get married when the time is right. Like you don't need to necessarily get married when, you know, before the baby. Um, But Sarah's mom, she kind of wants us to, to get married. And I think now with my job at UPS, and the benefits, um, it just—it's gonna make sense for us to get married that way. Mm-hmm. We don't have to pay for pretty much anything throughout this pregnancy, because um, right now these first yep. couple visits were are basically dishing out of pocket because neither of neither of us have health insurance. But once I think I've got like another thirty days or something before it kicks in, and then once we get married, she'll be on my insurance, and then the whole pregnancy from from there on out will be. Basically taken care of, and that's just like a huge weight off your shoulders because it's—I mean—it's not cheap to to have a baby. That's for sure.
1: Well, that's that's where you at, if I remember correctly, when we chatted in Miami about this whole thing, was that emotionally you were ready. It was like financial standpoint that that burden of needing to do it right—that is what you were waiting on.
2: Absolutely, and it's crazy that you know the thing that ultimately drives my income is like not the thing that's really going to provide for uh for this whole process you know it kind of like I said I've kind of shifted directions and um never could have seen this coming six months ago but here we are
0: do you remember you maybe you don't it was after West Virginia this last year and you were having a great race and then you got stuck at the tire and you ended up taking like eighth place or something or some seventh place maybe is that right something like that I don't like to think about it well, well this is what I'm going to get to though. And this conversation for me is like yesterday. It's like a snapshot in my brain. And you were disappointed after the race and rightfully so because you kind of let it slip in the end. And I was like, "How you doing, man?" And and you were like, "You know, man, I'm honestly just disappointed because not to get too personal, but like I'm saving up. I'd like to save up for a ring for my girl, and eighth place just is that it bums me out because I really needed that money so I could do this. And I just found that conversation like so endearing. you weren't pissed even about your place it had nothing it came back to like I want to save up and buy a <laughs> ring from my girlfriend That's what you were disappointed about you you maybe you don't no, remember that conversation I do yeah
2: and it, it sucks that like as athletes, especially in this sport we have to put that kind of pressure on ourselves to to perform to to get those things um but it's kind of just like the reality of the situation and yeah I've like. Wanted to do that for some time, and I knew that, that 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 whole race, I was sitting in a good payday spot, and to watch it just slip away there at the end, um, you know, yeah, that that hurt a little bit. I, You know what's funny about that race? I still have, I keep a daily log entry on, like, my training, my races, and all that stuff. I'm sure you guys do the same. And on that day and time, oh, yeah. it's completely blank. I have, like, I didn't even write anything down because I just didn't even want to, like, revisit that day. It's just, like... Friday, you know, shakeout run strides. Saturday, blank. Like, there's, it's like that day never happened.
1: <laughs> oh, that is really tough. And I'm also really glad that, like, the moment this became real for you, you found a career. I didn't have a choice. Well, yeah, you, but you do, right? Because yeah. there are a lot of people in this sport and in other fringe sports or that semi pro lifestyle who grind away because that next level is their end game and they know like in their heart of hearts if I can just break through I'm going to be set and then there are the people that understand this isn't my end game this is going to open up a door for me at some point and that's going to be really cool but you stepped back from like that pro racer my world revolves around me mentality and you made the father slash husband provider mindset decision that all right now my world revolves around somebody else and if there's nothing else i knew about you that decision alone says you're ready for this next step
2: well thank you i mean there's no probably nobody probably more shocked than me to to, to kind of you know <laughs> make that shift because i mean as you guys know i mean racing and, and training i mean that's been my only gig for you know five plus years now so to be able to you know push that mm-hmm. to the side and um kind of look towards something else is not an easy decision. But you know what? If there's a, a good time to do that, it's now. Because obviously, it's not like there's any races on the horizon. So, you know, you better hopefully have something on the side that you have as far as like an income goes. Well,
0: you know what I find though too, though, is sometimes, you know, you kind of dove into this sport before you decided like to go down a career path necessarily. Whereas I went down a career path and then found the sport. And I find that like... I don't know. Sometimes people can, like, if if not every waking moment, you know, lives or dies by your racing and you have other layers that you're worried about, sometimes it works better. I don't know how to say it. Like, sometimes everything can be smoothed out by having other things to focus on in your life. 100%. Um, so it, dude, so it could be like a, it could well, even be a good thing. Like, Look at a lot of the successful people in this sport. They are family people, you know? So who knows? sure.
2: And like, honestly, looking back on it, when I first came into this sport and I had that hot start back in 2014, I was working pretty much 40 hours a week. And then into 2015 is when I quit all my jobs and started pursuing it full time. And it was hard to get back to that level. And now here I am working full time again. And like, dude, my, you would think that I'd be so tired from like, You know, I put in 30,000 plus steps on my feet every day, delivering packages
0: (laughs) like, dude,
2: like my workouts are off the charts and I'm like, dude, what is going on? Is this like the secret sauce?
0: Like, I don't, I don't know. Active recovery, active recovery.
2: But yeah, like you said, my mind's not always, you know, when I'm at a hard workout training session, I'm not thinking like, man, I need to hit these numbers because if I don't, then I'm not going to place this weekend. If I don't place, I'm not going to make this money. It's like sometimes when I'm doing a hard workout, I'm thinking about, you know, the route that I got to do today at work, delivering my packages. And my brain isn't just solely focused on how I do in this training session. And I mean, I'm sure that's a good thing.
0: Bracken, do you think, do you think being a dad, because I'm I'm not one, um, do you think being a dad and all those sort of, I don't know, like your energy goes so much into other humans, do you think that that's a benefit or is that? Is that the opposite at times, or both? I'm just curious to hear your take since we're on the topic.
1: I mean, my honest response is that anyone who says it was the best thing to happen for me is either lying or they found a great workaround. In terms of it's the best thing to happen for me as an athlete? Like inherently, it's a de- a distraction and a detraction from your training and your focus. initially. However, like anything else, like getting a job or coming back from an injury or having something flare up, sometimes it fo- it forces you to focus on only like a specific version of your training and to get rid of some of the extraneous stuff we used to stress about or spend time on. And so in that regard, to some people, they actually do become better. Sometimes we spend 12 hours a day thinking about it and stressing about it and planning about it. And when you remove that, sometimes it's freeing and it's like, all right, I have 90 minutes a day and then I have to be back to life. And you pour yourself into 90 minutes and then you're back to it. And then sometimes you are better. I will say that at times I have been a better athlete because I'm a dad. And at other times I've been a worse athlete because I've allowed the being a dad part to, to, to creep into my mind during races in a negative way. Like if I don't Early on in our marriage and with kids, I thought, you know, if I'm not winning or making money this weekend, I just took m- money away from my kid's college fund or away from our diapers or away from our grocery fund for that week. And in that part, it can be a huge stressor. But when you find your balance, I think it can really help streamline streamline your life.
2: You know what? And I, don't, I know we're on a tangent right here, but one thing that me personally, everything when it came to training, had to be perfect. I needed X amount of hours of sleep the night before. I needed, you know, I needed to wake up three hours before my workout and have, you know, a meal at a certain time. And like everything just had to be perfect. But now it's like, dude, like I legit, like I wake up at 4:45 and I need to be out the door by 5 15. I've got 30 minutes and like I don't have time to waste. Like maybe I only got six hours of sleep last night. And, like, I've adjusted and I've adapted to that, whereas, like, in the past, I just sort of felt like everything had to be perfect. And now I'm like, dude, I don't need – give me a banana and a cup of coffee and, you know, I can be out the door in 30 minutes doing mile mile repeats, you know, in in 45 minutes after I wake up. And it's like, dude, I could not have done those things six months ago. So it's just weird how your body Mm -hmm. and mind can adapt to really any situation.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what. It makes traveling to races and having hardships throughout the traveling day, the day before a race, inconsequential. Like they don't matter anymore. For sure. Prior to having kids and being and and having my sleep perfect. Prior to that, if I got a bad night of sleep the night before a race, or if my flight was delayed or I didn't get my right meal, I was thrown off. And after that it was like, I got five hours last night. Yeah. But I didn't wake up one time in those five hours. (laughs) I'm ready to (laughs) rock. Yeah. So, yeah, it does change things. Your adaptability is greatly changed.
0: You know what I find is I think the most exhaustive part of training and racing isn't the physical side of things. It's the mental battles you fight leading up into a race and revolving around your workouts and figuring out what kind of shape you're in. I find that having distractions with like a crazy work schedule, for example, for me. And now, Ryan, if you're going to be working and have a, a child and maybe a new wife, like – I don't know. Sometimes like that hemming and hoeing over your fitness and racing and workouts, like kind of just like settles in. And then the most exhausting part of training is out because your mind's occupied with other things outside of it. For me, that's better that way. If I have nothing else going on in my life and all I can do is think about like my racing and my fitness and an injury or whatever, I find that it sucks more life out of me. And if I'm distracted and engaged with life on the day to day outside of training and racing, then I tend to do a lot better. Yeah, I it, Maybe it's just a personal thing, but uh, that's just what I've noticed over the years, um, personally. It, it
2: gives you structure to your day as well. Like when you're a pro athlete, you might sleep in until nine and be like, eh, I don't feel like doing my workout till one o'clock or two o'clock. And it's like your day just kind of goes as as you feel. Whereas like when you have so much going on in a day, so many different things to take care of. It's like you, you've got like Racken said a few minutes ago, you have small windows to fit in certain times and, I found that that's like it's actually been super beneficial for me to have a day where I'm like super jam packed, and it's forcing me to do things in like certain windows. Whereas like in the past, it's just been kind of like oh,
0: I'll wake up and I'll do it whenever, whenever it gets done. Yeah, it's almost more productive that way. I want to know did you did you get this UPS job after you found out you guys were pregnant? Was that part of the equation, or was that a separate uh, endeavor? Yeah. Regardless. Yeah.
2: So like I've been doing ba- essentially the same job with Amazon. Um, they were way more flexible with me. I mean, I would send in, they knew about my uh, athletic pursuits and all that stuff. And I'd send in a schedule every week and I'd be like, okay, what days are my hard days? Like I don't want to work these days. So I'd be like, all right. I text my boss and be like, hey, put me on for like Monday and Thursday next week. Like it was super chill. And um, and then, yeah, like obviously when, when we found out that, You know, Sarah was pregnant. Um, I just was like, hey, like, and I've been kind of thinking about it for a long time because a lot of people had said, you basically, essentially you do the same job as Amazon. There's a little more responsibility. It's a little more strict, a little more, yeah, there's just, it's just a little, little more responsibility involved. And, but you, most people would have to put in five years inside the warehouse before you can get like a driving job. And that's really not what I was trying to do at all. But I reached out to a couple people who I knew were drivers and they were like, dude, if there's a time to, you know, skip that process, it'd be now during COVID um, because they're so desperate for drivers pretty much. So I filled out an application and, you know, put down some pretty good references and dude, they called me within like three days and I didn't even have to go in for an interview. Like they just basically were like, Hey, like we're going to, we're gonna do this like online virtual training for a couple of days, and then you're gonna go into the warehouse. And um, it just, dude, it happens so fast. Like I can't even explain to you how quick it happened. But um, it just made for a more uh, secure future. Um, I mean, dude, if you, it's kind of ridiculous how much UPS drivers can make after like four to five years. I mean, you're you're looking at like six figures after like four to five years of driving, and it's like Amazon, you're making like thirty-five k. You know, it's like it just makes sense
0: kind mm-hmm. of like,
2: you know, make that jump. So um did like I said, didn't see this coming. Um had COVID not happened, had the baby not happened, I probably would have never headed down this path. But like looking, you know, hindsight now, it's like honestly, I probably should have taken this step many years ago, but you know, it was so selfishly caught up into my own dreams and my own passions that uh you know, I just kept kept trying and kept trying to like hit this level that I ultimately wanted to be at and I still think that I can get to but you know now we're gonna we're gonna have some
1: more challenges along the way. Before I ask my question I, I do want to kind of speak to that. So when I when I left my teaching job to go full-time racing and we moved out to Colorado I got worse initially. Um, I, I I tried to do everything all at once and suddenly racing mattered because I needed to replace my income. Um, But I found myself, kind of what you talked about, I was, if I woke up and I wasn't ready to train, I pushed it back till the afternoon, and the whole day revolved around it, and I was less sociable, I was less enjoyable to be around for Lisa, I was less active with the kids, but my last two years of teaching, I was pretty dialed in with my training. You know, I was up at 5 for big days, 5.30 on normal days. And there was never a better feeling in my life of training than getting done. I I still think back to this progression I hit where I went like six by mile and then one by two mile, and four by mile, and then eventually three by two mile hitting at like five in the morning before heading into teaching in September. And I rocked my world championship race that year. And I just like all day long, I was like riding during my workday this high of I just rocked three by two mile and I had an awesome workout. And when I get home, I am done for the day i can play with the kids all night and i can hang out with lisa after they go to bed and i'm gonna fall asleep early because i'm spent but man it's gonna be a really fun recovery run tomorrow because i had a great workout today and i never got that when i was training full time because there wasn't any like there wasn't any pressure to my day so when i did get it done there wasn't any relief from that so for whatever that's worth you're about to get a new stage even more so than you already hit because i know you got that with amazon but you're going to get it even more coming up that that your your relief and your your feel-good results of just getting your workout fit in and done and that's powerful
2: yeah yeah and like i think you find out how much you care about the sport too like how much you really just like want to do it because you know anybody can sleep until nine or ten and get their workout in at noon or one but you know if you if the alarm goes off at 4 30 and you need to be doing mile repeats or two mile repeats at five thirty day after day, can you do those sort of things? And like to what you just said, man, it's like when you wake up, when you don't wanna wake up and you go and you, you're you doing your warm up, and you kind of feel like crap, but then like you get into your workout and you start to feel good and you get done and you're like, dude, it's not even 6 a.m. and I just beasted that workout. And like, there's just mm-hmm. like a sense of, I mean, you get that sense of accomplishment anyway, you know, just through training, but like you just feel like a beast when you've done like a super hard workout and like the sun is literally just coming up like there's just something powerful about that that just like gives you strength and i'm totally getting that now man because i again i don't have a choice i have to be up you know before 5 a.m to to train and that's never been something i've enjoyed doing but i'm honestly starting to like it now
1: you know i've, I've talked to you about this offline but when When we had our chat after a couple of the end of the season races, and I was just like floundering with my training and my confidence and my fitness, and you kind of had to come to Jesus talk with me. And I looked at you and I like, I kind of saw myself reflected back from five years earlier. Like this guy right now is so bulletproof that he's going to give his best advice to a guy because he knows like, I'll come race bracket when he's fit because I don't care right now. (laughs) I'll tell him whatever he needs to hear. And I'm going to help him out because A, you're a genuine guy, but you were so confident in your fitness and your training and you were dialed in that you didn't care what other people were doing. Yeah, I'll help my competitor out. And I I wondered about you when COVID hit and you picked up your Amazon job. I kind of wonder, like, Ryan is at such a level right now. This might be that turning point. I wonder if he can get through this because not everyone can. And what, about a month or two ago? We were texting and you said something like, man, this has been tough. I have not missed a workout. And I just turned to Lisa (laughs) and said, like, Kent's going to be nasty this year. Because you took the level you were at, which was already, you know, world class. And you went, what, three or four months of starting up a job on top of training. And you didn't miss a workout. And that told me exactly how you were going to respond to this kind of stuff.
2: You know what's crazy is, like, I created this... And I'm sure athletes do this, you know, you find ways to motivate yourself. I created this narrative in my brain that people were going to think because Ryan Kent has, to, has this job now that there's no way he's going to be able to keep up his training. Like whether people thought that or not, that's what I put into my brain that people were going to be like, oh, Kent Scott, he's working 45 hours a week. Like there's no way he's going to be able to show up to the race and like do well. So like, dude, I just used that. I was like, that's what everyone's thinking. That's gonna fuel me. And you know, to be completely honest, when back in April, when this thing first kind of took a turn for the worst, or maybe it was like March when they started canceling like Seattle and stuff, I had skipped um, Jacksonville uh, due to another race, but I was fully prepared to show up to Seattle and do well. And I was literally, I was in my car getting ready to head to the track I was at the track. I was in the parking lot and I got a text from Jack Bauer and he was like, Yo, like Seattle's off and most likely like Montana's gonna be off and like it's gonna be a domino effect. And I just sat in my car. I I had like a freaking I think I had like eight by a thousand plan with like two hundred meter recoveries. And I was just like, Well, there's no Seattle race, like what what am I gonna do? And I sat in the car for like two minutes and then was like, All right, we're still gonna go do this workout. And went out to the track. and I'd say mentally, I was a little bit like defeated, um, knowing that like there was no races coming up. And to be quite honest with you, that was probably one of the worst workouts I've had in a while. After the first rep, I just took my watch off my wrist and threw it in the grass. Um, but I finished the workout and um, I was kind of sad and like depressed, as I'm sure like a lot of people were. And And I started kind of getting some momentum again. And I was like, okay, like things will get back to normal. And they didn't. But I kept training and kept training. And then, you know, okay, like West Virginia is going to happen. We're going to keep on training, keep training. And, dude, I just kept getting fitter and fitter and fitter and fitter. And then, obviously, now West Virginia is not going to happen. And we might not have any races again until 2021. And I'm just like, I'm at the point now where, like, I don't give give a fuck. Like, dude, I'm just going to. I'm gonna keep training hard because honestly, that's just what I love to do. I love the sense of accomplishment that I get from that. And I honestly, like if I don't if I don't work out for a day, like Sarah notices it. Like she's like, dude, you need to go. Like you need to go do like a training session because you're an asshole today, and, you know? Like, like, <laughs> dude, it's like it was, I was super bummed about like the races, but I've come to like grips with that. Like, dude, I'm still gonna train. Regardless, because I love to do it. And I'm honestly the consistency that I've built over the last, what do we got, March, April, May, June, July, the last five months. I haven't done anything necessarily different in my training. It's just the fact that I haven't had any breakups. Like we haven't had to like back off for a race, race, then back off after the race to recover, and then get like a short training stent and then do the same thing over and over again. I've just put together months and months and months of consistent training. And dude, I'm like smashing, whether it's mountain runs, track workouts, like DecaFit style workouts. I'm just hitting numbers that like I haven't hit. And it's, again, I don't think it's that I've done anything different. It's just that we've had such a long gap in between races. And I've been able to put weeks after weeks after weeks on top of each other. And I think that's just what I'm going to continue to do, you know, moving forward. Obviously, you know, we're going to need to back off at some point. But um I think if you really take advantage of this time that we have off and just put in, it doesn't even have to be crazy hard workouts, just like consistent training, you know, week after week, it's just going to pay big dividends, you know, next year.
0: Have you had this conversation with Sarah yet? So I have to imagine uh, finding out you guys are pregnant and then realizing that, you know, things are only going to get busier by the time the 2021 racing season rolls around. due Due in February. Doing February. Okay. Right. When, you know, Jacksonville might be rolling around or the first deck of fit, if fingers crossed that maybe racing resumes. Um, have you had that conversation yet? I just want to bring this conversation full circle. Like, okay. Uh, you will have to like sacrifice a little bit here, Ryan, potentially, or is the intent? Cause I feel like we just announced right. this week, they just announced that the U S races are all canceled for the remainder of the year. And now, I would have maybe expected you to say, oh, I'm like, my fitness has been wasted. And now when racing resumes, I'm going to have even more on my plate. Um, you don't feel that way. Like you, like you're going to be full in next year, no matter what, and make it all work the best. 100. Is that what I'm yeah. hearing? And like,
2: yeah. thankfully I, on
0: I have a girlfriend who knows that like, we're going to
2: be together for the rest of our lives. And she's okay with me being selfish and like doing things that like make me happy right now, because obviously I'm not going to, be able to pursue this for, you know, the rest of my life. Um, she's okay with me leaving, you know, town to go race, even when the kids kid gets born. Um, I even think her mom's going to come and stay with us for, for a couple months and, and help look after the kids. So, you know, it's we'll make it work, you know. I, I think it's totally doable.
0: Um, something that I liked about what you've been doing recently is, I feel like in this COVID and no racing and all that, social media has become full of people saying, look at me, like, look at my workout I'm doing and look at me doing this and look at me doing that. And you've just been cool and collect under the radar, grinding every day and and haven't been necessarily like braggart about what's going on with you. Like you kind of knows that the grindstone and something about me, I don't know, recently I've just found social media a little bit like off-putting in the sense where people are trying to remind us that they're there. Like, Hey, I'm still here, even though COVID's going on and there's no races and you're just like hustling. Yeah. You're just freaking yeah. hustling. Like there's something I admire about that. And you posted that photo of you with your damn mustache, uh, the other day, just saying about your grind. And I was like, that guy's got to figure it out right now. Like that is what like a, a respectable man is doing with his life right now. And I just wanted to put my hat off to you for that. I appreciate um, Instead of telling the world they got to remind that Ryan Kent's here, like the, the world's going to know Ryan Kent's here when he shows up to his next race. You know what I mean? And like, honestly,
2: a part of that is because I just haven't had the time. Like I kid you not, my day starts at, I get up at like 445 almost every day throughout the week on the weekends I get to sleep in. Um, so, and then my day sometimes if I have a PM workout, I'll get home. Maybe, dude, there's some nights I don't get home from UPS until like 7 8 PM. And then I might have a strength workout. So like literally from like 4.45 to like 9 p.m., I'm just go, 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 and I don't have time to get on social media like I used to, which I'm finding out is kind of a, a blessing. Um, but at the same time, it's like, again, it goes back to that narrative that I created in my head where I'm like, people are going to be like, oh, Kent's not posting, you know, he he's probably fallen off. And like, dude, I, again, I was so looking forward to West Virginia happening because... Dude, I was just, I'm ready to rock and roll right now. I'm like mentally locked in, physically fit. Um, but again, man, you know, whenever, whenever racing starts back, be ready to rock and roll.
0: But we've been talking about like, so Bracken and I both coach and when they announced that the U S races were canceled the other day, like my phone lit up, like, you know, people were ready to just throw in the towel and very upset (sighs) and And I'm trying to talk people off the ledge, you know, like, listen, like this fitness isn't going to waste. Um, let's do some epic shit, right? Do you have anything planned now? Because let's just say we don't race for another six months or more. Do you have any like bucket list things? Like I want to go crush the incline or I want to – like are there some things you're going to check off the list with this time? So I sort of did that when this
2: first when this first happened back in like March. Uh, I, I wanted to break 10 minutes in the two-mile at – altitude so it like i meant like our track sits at like sixty five hundred feet and like obviously training for a two mile event is not really i mean that'll get you sort of fit for like an ocr race but that's not really the kind of workouts you're doing for a two mile aren't really going to get you ready for a mountain beast or something you know so i spent march april and may pretty much doing workouts trying to get a two mile under 10 minutes and once once they started putting some uh races back on the calendar I kind of shifted away and was never actually able to accomplish my goal but I got down to 10:14 at uh like 6500 feet um so that was kind of like my goal for for like 3 months there I was just like every workout was like planned to try to break 10 minutes in the 2 mile um and then I started getting back on track started doing some more like really specific workouts that were going to get me ready for the race but obviously now that you know we've got some more time I don't know man like I just did literally yesterday I did this mountain run that I did last year to West Virginia and I'd done this thing probably six or seven times and the fastest time I ever did it was when Veerman came with me and we do this 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 trail run is gnarly man it's like two and a half miles and it climbs like 2300 vertical feet like when you get to the top it's this gnarly scramble, like you're having to like climb up boulders and things like that. And I spent all summer last year hitting this thing. And like I said, the fastest time I did it was with Veerman. And just yesterday I hit it for the first time this this whole summer. I hadn't gone back there because I'm like, I don't need to do this. Um, and I went and hit it and I PR'd the – going up I PR'd by like 45, 45 seconds. And then coming down, coming down I PR'd by like a minute and ten. And I was like, what? Like, this doesn't make any sense, like, whatsoever. Like, last year I was, like, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. And, like, I couldn't break 28 minutes on the climb up to save my life. And I couldn't break 17 coming down to save my life. And, like, I broke 16 coming down yesterday. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I honestly think that, like, maybe I'm just more rested. Those muscles are just, like, my climbing legs aren't completely zapped. I don't really know what the answer is. But now I'm like, man, I want to. I want to pursue some of these, like just like summit runs. So maybe that's what I'll get into over these next couple months before it starts to snow here. Is I'll maybe ch- chase some. Uh, what do they call it in the trail world?
1: Uh, FKT's. FKTs.
2: Maybe uh, maybe maybe this big boy will go after some of those.
1: Are you big right now?
2: I'm like one 185. So I'm I'm like right where I normally okay. am. Yeah.
1: Have you been hitting the Deca in the high rock style preparation pretty solidly, or do you have a steady mix going on right now?
2: I have a pretty steady mix. Like normally, it changes. So, like I always, I have an interval workout like every week. Usually, it's like I combine intervals with like some threshold work. So, like lately, I've been doing things like a two. I start out with like a two mile hard effort. I don't really want to put it in like a category, but two miles, something like six by eight hundreds, and then a two mile to close it out. Um, so something like that every week, um, and then I'll do hill repeats uh and then like a decafit strength workout every other week so like one week i have just like two hard workouts it's it's that you know track workout and then a hill workout and then the next week and it's the track workout and the decafit workout and then it just keeps kind of flip-flopping from there so i'm kind of like i'm kind of keeping my feet in like many different areas that way when hopefully when something kind of decided that you know a race was going to happen i could just like shift over to more doing more of one thing. Um, so that's why I was trying to like do a lot of uh, just kind of a little bit of everything. But like Kirk said in a previous podcast, just doing those like super random, hard strength workouts where like you don't really know what kind of benefit you're getting from it, other than like it's making you just like a tougher athlete. Um that's kind of what I do with a lot of my decafit style stuff. It's just like I don't really know what zone I'm working in here, but like it sure as heck makes running feel a lot easier. And so I've been doing like
1: a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of those workouts as well. You know, that you right there kind of just summed up what I've spent a lot of time thinking of. Our sport has highlighted a style of training that has not been tested long-term. And we all say the same thing like, we don't really, we can't identify the exact system and the exact reason why these really nasty workouts and these compromised runs and these workouts where you're not necessarily moving that fast, but you're so deep in debt that you're you're activating a lot of muscle fibers. Like there's not a ton of study on why that works. It makes you running better. And yet it oh. does. We, we've lived it long enough to know that it works. And, you know, a perfect example
2: would of that would be me in 2018 when I got injured and I was like prepping for the season and that's all that's all the kind of stuff I was doing was those like random hard workouts where like you'd be on the rower and then you'd hop off and do like power cleans and you know just like pull-ups and and then I remember after doing that for like two months I went and did mile repeats with 60 second recoveries and this is like a few weeks before Seattle and I like hit numbers that like I hadn't hit in like a long, long time. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Like I haven't been running like more than 15 miles in a week. Like what, what the heck is going on? And really the only thing I can think of is that it's just like, it's taking your pain tolerance to like a whole nother level.
1: Yeah. And so, and and I want to pursue that and I want to test that out. The concept of why aerobic base building makes you faster at non-aerobic activity has been proven out. That was something that was debated for a long time, but it's been proven. Like the higher your aerobic threshold is, the higher your, you, you can, or the faster you can run without accumulating too much lactate. And the higher that goes up, like the smaller the gap gets between your aerobic threshold and your anaerobic threshold. And like, we know that. We know that the better you get at that, just it increases the amount of work you can do at a lesser effort before it starts to tax you. And I just know that there is a correlation on the, and to some of the same effect with that high nasty work component that makes everything else below it, everything that's submaximal, it makes it easier to handle and it raises your capacity for work. And there's not a number, there's not some biomarker yet right. that we've identified. There's no metrics we can apply to it. And yet there's too many people who've done it for too many years. And seen it improve their running and their racing for me to think that there's no place for it in training i know there's something that can be identified by that totally. and you're the proof and kirk's the proof and i'm the proof and you know all these people out there know it to be true but our sport's so young that there's no long-term study on it
2: and i think a lot of it it, it forces something like an injury to kind of go in that direction because we're so like we know that like okay we need to do x amount of miles of running a week Um, We need to do X amount of strength workout in a week. But like, when you can't run that many miles and you have to like make some changes in your training program, really the only way for that to happen is if you get injured. And it's taken me to get injured more than once to really kind of dial in a method that works for me when I'm injured, but now it's like, okay, if it worked for me when I was injured, like why I should implement this more often. But it's easy to drift back into your habits of, of, you know what you've done and I've, I've kind of I've performed well both ways you know like I when I first came in I was running 80 to 100 miles a week but you realize quickly that like if you're racing once or twice a month you can't that's not sustainable like you just can't do that if you if you only race three times a year and but in OCR we don't have that luxury but if, if that was what you wanted to do then sure you could you could build your mileage up to something like that but when you race as much as us It's just not, I personally don't think it's uh, a sustainable approach. And sometimes those short, intense bouts of work with, with weight, just like, again, man, you can't really measure it, but it works. That's all I can really say.
0: It does. You know, there's no, there's no mystery. Like I, I have no problem proclaiming to the world that I come off of injury in fantastic shape and it's because of those exact workouts and I'm injured right now and, I've used you as an example a number of times in the podcast and your 2018 season and your performance at San Jose and then winning Seattle off of like 15 miles a week, which is mind blowing. And I think the, the problem that people fall into when they're injured is they just hop on the bike and they go out for a spin and they get on the rower and they do steady work and they're losing that like like quality over quantity is for sure king when it comes to high output for our sport. And instead of just getting on the damn elliptical and droning away, like hitting some purposeful, painful work, it just translates so dang well to our sport. And I just like – I guess I want to ask you because cannot, you have experience We should probably this. stop talking about this, guys. People are going to start – people are going to start – Yeah, get talking. catching on. <laughs> no, no shit. So I want to know, if you had to give up one of these two things, Ryan, you can keep your mountain running in there all you want. I don't care because hill work you just can't replace – if you had to do structured in over, in over work or high end Metcon type wads, you could only do one either like your thousands mile repeats or these crazy, awful, painful, short strength, cardio workouts. And you, you had to pick one. Which one would you pick? Oh my gosh, man. How are you going to put me in this? You have to pick one um, because I want to find out where your priorities lie.
2: I, I honestly probably would have to go with the track session just because I have more, I have more data Proven to like good race results when I hit certain numbers in my thousands or my mile repeats Whereas I don't have as much data or, or proven results and in, in the other um, But that's tough man. That's tough Like if you ask me which one do I think I'm gonna get my heart rate's gonna get higher or like, you know I'd, I'd probably go with the Metcon style work, you know, like it just depends, but I think I had just have more data um, through years of training that like, okay, like if I, if I go do my mile repeats in this time, like I'm ready to rock. So,
0: yeah, that's fair. I can't, I can't argue with that. I was just curious what you would say.
1: Kent's another example of this. We talked about it with, um, Hobie and we talked about it with Cody and we've talked about it with other people that part of the equation that gets overlooked. uh, Um, people say, well, he's a big, strong athlete who weighs more than a runner." And he does a lot of Metcon stuff and a lot of heavy lifting. That's the key to being good like he is. But how many of those people would first go back and hit 80 to 100 miles for a couple of years and then start strength and Metcon work and compromised running? Like There's that huge aerobic development section that Ryan maxed out. And that's why... um, this, this right here is, is not a shot at Richard Diaz, but when Richard comes up and says, I have this new flow style of training, I've been doing it for a year and a half with athletes. I really have seen good results. My knee-jerk reaction is always to say, well, let's see five, 10 years from now. You know, I think he should apply it to athletes because he's getting results, but when does the drawbacks start occurring? If they never do, he's onto this revolutionary training style. But if people start to plateau after a year or two, which is pretty common or year two to three with athletes who haven't built their aerobic capacity up and stick to a lot, of quanti- a lot of quality over quantity, the stagnation happens. If that occurs, then we know what the culprit is, right? Like if someone came in and trained like Ryan right now, we would know what the culprit is two years down the road when they stop progressing. But if they put in their couple of years that Ryan did, what? what over a decade you were a high mileage athlete yeah. and then they start doing met and strength work that's when you see the longevity so again i want to drive home that we're not saying there's this revolutionary style it's that when you pair the tried and true running principles that people have applied for the first half of their career and now they add in the other pieces while reducing some volume and adding in the those missing components that's when you find that so, so called like magical mix
0: i agree I don't really have anything to add to that well it is true we we have this conversation like every high-end athlete we talk to you included like whether they were a collegiate runner or they rode their unicycle for years like they have this like endurance background that always gets overshadowed and then we throw these fancy workouts and these like flashy like oh look at me squatting and then running five minute pace i'm so cool workouts but like they just see that and they don't realize like the foundation you've laid right. for so damn long warrants the payoff of these workouts now because you're just layering in on top of your already based your pyramid. So it's I think it was worth noting, Brack, and I think that was a good point to well, make. I agree it, with that. And honestly, I mean, if you really want to take it back, I mean, I've been running since I was four, four
2: years old. So like yeah. you really want to go back to like when it fully started. It's like, you know, I came into this sport when I was – let's see, six years ago, I was 27. Um, when I first came into the sport, I already had like over 20 plus years of, of running base work and built, in, built up in my yeah. body, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, it obviously not everyone needs to put in that much amount of time to have some success, but um, it surely doesn't hurt.
0: Right. not to like tangent too much, but um, I, I know some about your like past and history and upbringing, but not everything. Did you... Did you play other sports other than oh yeah like track and cross country? Oh, yeah. You did. Yeah. Uh, what did, what were your loves? Uh, I mean, growing up, I played
2: pretty much everything except like baseball. I mean, I played basketball, soccer, um, tennis. I even played tennis, tennis, and basketball my freshman year of high school, and then I kind of pers- kind of just was like all right, I want to pursue track and field and cross country. Um, but like growing up, growing up, it was usually I mean, I played, man, it was crazy. When I was a kid, I'd go and run, like, a 5K road race with my dad in the morning. I'd be, like, seven years old. And then, like, I'd rush straight from the road race and go straight to a football game and play, like, peewee football. And then, like, the next day, I'd wake up and go play, like, a soccer game. I mean, it was really anything that could keep me active because that's just – that was really the only way to keep me under control was to kind of burn my energy and – yeah, like I, I played pretty much every sport and it just kind of narrowed its way down to, to running and track and field and cross country. And I think that's just because that's where I had the most success. You know, that's where I realized I was kind of good at something. And obviously, when you're getting recognition for something, you're probably going to, you know, pursue that. And um, yeah, that's kind of ultimately the direction that I went.
1: Now, Ryan, you alluded to like you've been running since you were four and you were training at seven. And I know you and I have gone over this on a previous podcast, but not all of our audience has overlapped with the previous podcast audience. And I do want to pay some uh, some attention to that so that people take it seriously. When you say I trained when I was a, a little kid, like a lot of people think that means you ran a 5K with your pops when you jogged a soccer practice or something like you were, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say you were a child prodigy at running.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think people there for a little while, um, thought that I was probably gonna be like the next big thing for distance running in America. I mean, I was hitting every national record from pretty much age six until age like 11. I had like every national record from like 5k up to half marathon for those ages. Um, they eventually got broken, but like one thing I'm so proud of today is my, I think my eight-year-old eight-kilometer road race time still exists. It's the fastest eight-year-old to ever run an 8K road race on like a certified um, course. So that that's something I'm super proud of. But yeah, man, like when I was a kid, it wasn't like, hey, like we're going to go and um, we're going to go for a little one-mile jog. Like no, like my dad was, you know, people thought my dad was abusive because of some of the things he had me doing. Um, And I will admit at times I didn't want to do them, but obviously looking back on it now as an adult I'm super grateful that I went through that, but you know We were doing 400s and 800s and stuff when I was when I was like six and seven years old You know like I have memories of my dad like me being like dad. I'm tired I'm tired and he would just grab my hand and just drag me and make me run faster Um, so yeah, I mean it wasn't I mean it it was for fun, but at the same time, it was like you know I showed up to a road race. You know I wanted to, I wanted to win. You know whether that was like my age group or um, just beat some of the older kids or or what. Like just competition and stuff started at a really young age, and I had a lot of success early. And then I think obviously once I started hitting puberty and um, got it into middle school, and I think maybe my focus just wasn't there anymore, or maybe I just lost what I had, but. I just started to fall off the pace a little bit um, when I was in sixth grade. I uh, like I was going up to the high school and running uh, track and cross country practice with the high school kids. Um, I just I had some like super fast times like that. I probably shouldn't have been running that early um, that early on, and I just hit a plateau where I stopped getting stopped getting faster. And I think from really like my freshman year in high school to my senior year. I really did get, honestly, that much better, which kind of sucked at the time because I kind of like I saw myself as possibly becoming like a professional runner one day. I mean, I knew it was kind of a long shot, but that'd been my whole life up to that point, you know. And um, you know, when coming out of high school and literally getting like one scholarship offer to like a Division three school, it's like crap, man. Like this is this isn't what I thought it was gonna be like, and um, you start to realize that like you're going to have to kind of shift and probably pick something else to do. But I went on to college and had I had a pretty decent college career at a Division II school. And, um, but again, like I realized like running just wasn't going to be the sport that was going to take me to like the professional level. And lo and behold, this sport of obstacle racing would, would come about. Because you know what's funny is when I was in college, I would tell all the kids, and I was always built a little bit bigger than, than most of them. I'd be like, dude, if there was ever a race where like, After every lap, we had to do like fifty push-ups and like fifty pull-ups between each lap. Like I would crush everybody, and it's like, I mean, that's pretty much OCR, right? You know, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It's just there you have it. It's funny how like you know the world works out sometimes.
0: Were you were you like an like an early developer? Like for me, I remember I raced a kid in eighth grade with a mustache, and I ran five eleven. And I thought that was real fast as an eighth grader. But this kid with the mustache ran 456. But by senior year of high school, that kid with the mustache was still running 456. And I was running much faster. Was that you? Or was it that you had trained so consistently at a young age that you were hitting those first plateaus because of your duration of training? It's, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't think I
2: was necessarily like, I mean, I didn't I didn't have a beard when I was in like seventh or eighth grade or anything like that. You know. <laughs> okay. But like you're making up for it now with that sweet know, stash that is a good stash. but i mean i think a lot of it too is like when you're young man there's also not like there's probably not a lot of other kids out there doing what i'm doing i mean they were out there for sure i mean when you when you meet like another eight-year-old kid who's running an 1835k you know you're like damn dude like that's legit but you know i just i don't think there was that many kids out there pursuing it to that level um when they're that young so um i don't know if that was a detriment to me moving forward like maybe i pushed my body too hard too soon and and there was a lot of people growing up there was newspaper articles written about that that like you're gonna mess up his future just like tearing down my dad um for for pushing me so hard and um and i think that's part of the reason why i keep pursuing this sport to this day is because i want to you know probably prove prove some of those people wrong so
0: you got a lot of those things in the back of your head don't you like oh People see it like you got those little like matches to burn, like on like when you need that intrinsic motivation. I'm like sensing it like a little bit, like proving the naysayers wrong, flipping them the bird while you're training in the dark, and right. they'll find out one day. Right. I kind of like yeah. that. Are you? I want to, I want to, oh, go, oh ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just wanted to ask about your college career too, because we got a critique on the podcast about talking a little bit too much about pacing and numbers and times. And then we got a big influx of people saying, no, I want you to talk pacing and numbers and times because it gives us something to strive towards. And so now I want to make it a point to actually talk pacing numbers and times because uh, I think people like to hear that. And so I want to know at the epitome, you posted a photo, I don't know, a month or two ago, it's like your, your epitome of your runner days. And I was, my jaw dropped when I saw how thin you were. Um, and I want to ask about all that getting jacked and beefy now too, like that process, but back in your college days when you're a thoroughbred runner, um, I assume that's when you hit your fastest run times. Like what were your events and what were you running them in back then?
2: Yeah. So I thought, I thought I was going to be like this 800 meter and 1500 meter guy, but it turned out like for whatever reason, like my speed from high school to college actually got slower. And I don't know if that's because when I got to college, we started doing more volume, um, yeah. so I, I just naturally progressed into like you know the 5k and 10k um, cross country I did really well and then I think into my second or third year in school I, I started doing the 3,000 meter steeplechase which ended up being like my bread and butter event um, so I, I mean I never like again yeah, like I never got like crazy crazy um, fast times I never broke 15. In the 5k but i came really really close a couple of times hmm. um i ran like 925 in a 3000 meter steeplechase which almost qualified hmm. me for division two nationals but you had to run like 918 or something like that but i won my conference i won the conference title um and then in, in cross country i ran an 8k in like 25 25 20 25 30 something like that that's quick so i mean i was i was decent like i was like the third guy on our team or something. Like, I mean, it was okay. I mean, it wasn't anything special. But I won I want a conference title. So I was I was I was pretty happy about that.
1: Oh yeah. That's something I never did in college. I never won an individual conference title. You know what's funny is I came back and
2: doubled in the five K like two hours after that and PR. I hit my PR in the five K two hours after winning that.
1: I was just talking about that. With an athlete of mine, uh, I had her do two time trials, two FKT assaults in the same on the same Saturday. And beforehand, I just said, "Hey, you're gonna feel from the moment you finish your first one to the moment you start your second one. You're gonna feel like there's no way I can possibly go out and do this, and then your body's gonna work." You know, I talked about how, like, in high school, in college, it's common to double or triple at a meet. And every time you're warming up for your next one, like, why would I even buy warming up? I can't do this. But my high school mile and, P- and two mile PR came in the same meet. It's weird. I remember thinking in that 5K race, too. I'm like, if this pace goes out slow,
2: I'm going to be golden. You know, if it goes out fast, I might be in trouble. Um, but I know my lungs will warm up to the event and I'll be okay, like, breathing wise. Um, that race actually still haunts me to this day because I took I almost had the three K steeple and the five K double win. And I took the lead. Mm-hmm. I took the lead with two hundred and fifty meters to go. And it was too soon. And the guy came back on me with like fifty yards left before the finish and passed me. And I was just like, no, no. Ugh. it was like doubling
1: doubling the three K steeple and the five K man. Like that was that was a hard double to pull. All right. I'll share my my greatest college regret. Uh, my conference, my senior year outdoor conference, we had a nasty weekend. It was one of those Wisconsin specials where it's uh, May and we had like 33, 34 degrees, uh, snow flurries and and heavy winds. And I ran the four by eight hundred meter relay the night before and then ran the open 1500 meters the next day. And I anchored the four by eight and I Closed so I went out so hard. I think I went out in like 50 point the first lap because we were in like sixth and I ran all the way up into third and then just slowly died the whole lap to hold on to third. And then the next day I felt trashed and I, we went to the 1500 meters. My brother had run the open eight earlier that day as well. And so he and I had decided he was a sophomore, I was a senior. We're just going to hang in the back and hang in there until our legs come around. And if the pace holds for us, then we'll close at the end. And it went out pretty slow. With one lap to go, he was in last, I was in second last. We ran every step of the race in last and second last together. Everyone swung out on the back stretch because we were running so slow. So like everyone swings out to lane five and I, I turned, I said like, all right, we got to like, we can't wait any longer. And we started moving and we started moving and with 200 to go, I was in third to last. And in the last 200, I think I closed in like 26 and I went from third to last to second. And Um, our stud, uh, had a stress fracture and did not get training and ended up taking third. And so a new guy won that shouldn't have won. And I took second and I closed all the way down the home stretch, you know, like 40 yards down to like four yards. (laughs) And, and I just lost it. You ran out of room. Just ran out of room. I walked off the track feeling like I hadn't started the race. Like I was gasping, like I'd run a 200 meters and that was it. And I just thought like, that's it. That was my last conference track meet I'll ever run. That was my best chance to ever win a conference title. And I think I ran 358 or something, you know, nothing fast, but hammered the last 200. And I knew if I had started at 250 or 300, or if I had just moved up one or two positions before the bell lap, but I I just got too lazy and waited too long. And same thing, but opposite end of the spectrum. You went too early, I went too late. Yeah, you know,
2: that's one thing about OCR you don't get. You don't really get tacked many tactical races like that. You know it's kind of like
1: no.
0: Nope.
2: You just go out hard and kind of like whoever can hold on to the pace the best kind of like <laughs> ends up winning the race, but I mean obviously we're not like killing ourselves but you don't see us going out in like a 6 minute mile and then just kind of like people throwing in like random surges and things like
1: that. Mm-mm. I wonder, and I've wondered this for a while, if there were no bottlenecks on course guaranteed if we would pack up or if it's if that just wouldn't ever happen because it's kind of like steeplechase where like if you pack up and you all get to the obstacle, whoever comes off at last now just lost three seconds, whereas the leader gained three. Like, Right. Do obstacles just change it where you can't pack up for too long or is it the bottlenecks of single track and technical running? Because it would be crazy to come through the halfway point in a pack of 10 or 12 or 15 and be looking around and like chatting briefly and wondering like, all right, who's going to make a move? Like that, that doesn't ever happen. If you're running in a pack, everyone's at max capacity, except for maybe the person leading the pack.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I feel like the only place that does happen and I've witnessed it is in those races where we have like a long two plus mile climb to start mm-hmm. and guys will sometimes rib and jaw and just stay together. I feel like that's the only place I've seen it happen. Cause anytime they put us on flat terrain, we end up in some gnarly crap and it's kind of impossible, but like Tahoe, I know there was conversations on that first ascent. Um, Utah, there were conversations. I remember those. But that's the only time I can think of. I remember my
2: second Spartan race, the one where I ended up winning and beating John Yasko. But he went out like a bat out of hell. I mean, I, he was gone. He probably had 20, 30 seconds on me in the first mile or so. And I was just like, dude, I can't, I can't run like that beginning and I was like, this is what this is about. Like this is how they run here in this sport.
0: And whatever. You go out hot as hell now. Like you you run with your balls. I'll be give you that. That first mile is all cojones, Mr. I, you go out well beyond your fitness level sure? or anybody's fitness level, and then you hang the frick on. There's no denying that. You that is your strategy in big races and it works well, that's that's sometimes
2: that's something I've had to learn how to do. And that hasn't been easy.
1: We have the only sport the only sport, the only endurance sport where it is a smart strategy to run stupidly fast at the beginning sometimes. I can't think of another sport where you're like, hey, you know what you should do sometimes? You should just crack the whip for the first like two miles and see if you can just get out of sight because <laughs> you don't get out of sight in other races. Right. That's honestly why I've
2: started implementing these like harder efforts in the like that two miles, six by 800, two mile um, workouts just to kind of like. You know, anybody can go out and run three by two mile with two minute recoveries, cause it, it's a controlled effort, like you know what you're gonna do. But if you run a two mile, and then you throw in six by eight hundreds at 225, and then you go back and try to run a two mile, it's like, oh crap, this pace feels a lot harder than it did the first go around. Mm-hmm. And just like training your your your, your energy system to, to deal with uh, just like, oxygen debt pretty much and then and being able to hold on because that's Sort of what this sport is and that's kind of what i've started doing pretty much in all my workouts You know if i'm doing mile repeats now i'll throw in some you know 400s in the middle of that and kind of like up the
0: ante a little bit So I like that are you are you being coached by yancey right now? Are you right your own uh programming? Yeah, I what mean you're doing there? he I mean he was giving me
2: all like fit Decafit, Decafit style workouts and stuff um but like right now, it's just it's just so up in the air. Um, I, I sort of wake up and just kind of like, I mean, do whatever I kind of feel like doing. To be quite honest with you, um, I mean, there's structure to that. But um, you know, Yancey, Yancey really helped me so much when I was injured. He's kind of the one that got me into the the whole thing we were talking about earlier with with the strength stuff um, when I got hurt. He gave me this workout, and you guys can try it if you want. But it's basically you do five minutes of whatever you want to do: five minute row, five minute Jacob's ladder, uh, five minute power walk. At you know,
0: 50. Bracken's writing this down right now. Do you see what he's doing there with his pen? He writes he writes this stuff yeah. down. I know what he's doing. Keep so, going. So you basically just do like five minutes of work, and it, it's pretty much aerobic. Like you're not going to kill
2: yourself on the rower, and then you go right into like a ten minute Imam of doing 16, I think it was 16 or 18 reps of certain things. So like you'd go right into like 18 box jumps, 18 quick power cleans, uh, 18 pull-ups, and you would kip, um, 18 burpees, and you'd have a minute to like get this stuff done. And then however much time you had left in that minute, you would rest. You would do this for 10 minutes, and then you'd go right back in. One exercise? No, you do- I'd have to go back in my notebook, but I think it was
1: five exercises and you would do it two times. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh. Yeah. So one per round, five different, cycle it through it twice. Yep. And
2: then you would pick a new exercise for the next five minutes of aerobic work. So if you just rode for five minutes, you could go get on the skier or, or Jacob's Ladder or whatever, whatever you know, the Stairmaster. Um, and then go right into another like 10-minute Imam. And then back into this thing, and that was mm. that was kind of like I mean, how many you, times you do like like four or five rounds, so you'd get like anywhere between like sixty and seventy five minutes of
0: work. That's just where we talk about like you don't have to be you can be a high volume athlete, but a low mileage runner, and that you can replace so much work on time on feet with stuff like that, and it is so purposeful. absolutely so purposeful. absolutely
2: couldn't agree more.
0: I like that. That's a good way to like like a replace, like if you're an injured athlete and you want to replace like a Saturday long run slash quality session, get some steady work in, roll through 50 minutes of EMOMs, cap it off with another 20 minutes of steady work. And here you are an hour and a half plus of high heart rate stuff. Like I love that stuff. I just did one of those yesterday. The great
2: thing about an EMOM is you can make it as easy or as tough as you want it to be by adding or taking away reps. So I mean, obviously, I think the sweet spot is trying to find that thirty seconds of work to thirty seconds of rest. But like, if you wanted to make it a little bit harder, you could, you know, add a rep or two, it takes you thirty-eight seconds to get it done, and you only get twenty-two seconds rest. And that's, I think that's, and it it keeps you it keeps you engaged too, because you know when that minute is up, you have to start the next thing. Um, so definitely a huge fan of, of work.
1: Mm -hmm. Yancey loves his starting on the minute or on the 80 seconds or on the two minutes. He, he uses that with a lot of stuff, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, he does. He's, he's a freaking, he's a genius. Honestly, when it comes to just like programming workouts, there's honestly like nothing that like he hasn't thought of. Cause I'll sometimes send him a text. I'll be like, yo, what do you think about this workout? And he's like, Oh yeah, I've tested, I've tested something that, that one's going to hurt. That's going to hurt like midway through, but you'll rebound and then you'll, you'll come through and it's like, Jesus, man! Like, mm. freaking lab testing. Do you do man?
0: the thing? The thing I like about those style of workouts is when people are injured. Um, And again, I think you should implement these when you're not even injured. But um, is they go so dang quick too? Like the hardest part about being injured is like droning away on some boring piece of shit equipment that you just don't want to be on. And when you do these EMOM styles or those circuit style like METCONS, God, like you can look and the time just flies too. It does. It's just like. There's no other, there's no other way to for do sure. it. You're like, I've been doing this for 60 minutes. Yeah. Oh man. It's just great. Um, I want to just diverge just a little bit. I want to get back to your um post collegiate days Uh, and then skinny Ryan to, to buff, buff Ryan. What? Oh, that photo you posted like a month ago. I don't remember what it was. That was a collegiate photo when you were like in a singlet or something, right? You were just skinny runner. What did you weigh then? Back I was this- like
2: 153 pounds.
0: Okay, so you were a beefy runner at 153 pounds. I was the exact same weight in college, actually, about 152. Um, and they consider me the guy with muscles at 152,
2: I remember. lot, And I'll be, I'll be full transparent here. I, I had a problem because I, I noticed my first year of college, I did not have a good uh, running career. And I think a lot of that had to do with I was a little bit bulkier than, than most of the other guys. So that summer, I decided I was going to lose some weight. And see if that helped me out in my performance. And dude, I was, I was, I did some pretty gnarly stuff, man. Like I, I was not eating enough. Um, there was even, I mean, there was a time I even threw up. I was, I was bulimic for like a short amount of time, um, just trying to get my body down to a weight. And I got back that cross country season and had like a breakthrough year where like I went from running like twenty seven thirty in an eight k to like you know mid 25s. And I was like, oh my God, like this is this is amazing. Cause I probably weighed like 172, 173 the season before. And I came back that after that summer and my coach was just like, yo, like what have you been doing like this past summer? And a lot of it was just like I burned more calories than I was taking in. And that that's ultimately what you know helped me lift the weight. But it wasn't, it wasn't a healthy approach, but I did it and it produced some like good results. For me, like that, that, I was super stoked with. Um, but those were not healthy years of my life. And when I got out of when I got out of school, um, you know, I kind of I pursued like some road racing events and stuff. I went and did did a marathon and, and had a pretty good marathon. But um, when all that was done, man, I was just like, dude, I can't, I can't keep doing this anymore, man. I feel like I'm just like I'm just getting this just isn't healthy, man. Like you're just, you're worried every second of the day, like if you're going to gain a pound and like all this stuff. And, um, so yeah, I started, I was like kind of, I basically did what Ryan Hall is currently doing right now. I just like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get, and you know what, I can eat as much food as I want because the more food I eat, the more muscle I'm going to build. And that kind of took me out of that that lifestyle that I was living where I was just like starving myself or like mm-hmm. myself, throw up to be skinny. And, um, there's not a lot of people I've told that story to, but,
0: um, thankfully, you know, it's not, just, it's not just women that go through that and it's a misconception in the distance running world, that pressure, especially as a more muscly guy, it's constant. I mean, we casually talk about weight bracket and like, Oh, I'm at my best when I'm 165 and we throw it around so nonchalantly. But when that's part of your everyday psyche and your life revolves around running times on the track, like that can be a pretty vicious cycle. I knew a couple of guys on my collegiate team that consciously had to do that. And that had to be a, I don't know. I just just don't envy anybody in that position. It sucked.
2: And it it basically, it it ruined a relationship that I was in with a girl at the time.
1: Hmm. It consumes you. It consumes you. It totally consumes every waking moment. And thankfully, weightlifting was what kind of got me out
2: of it. Because it, that was something where like eating more actually meant better results, and right. you know again it goes back to what we're doing now with obstacle racing. Man, where like this this steady balance of, of weight training and running, and it just like I just feel so healthy like now, like I, like doing this sport where um, many different body types can can do well, um, and and we we've seen it. we've mm-hmm. seen you know guys like myself and Kirk, and, you know even Bracken and Hunter like bigger guys do well. Um, so like the whole weight thing, isn't necessarily a concern for me anymore because I've proven that like I can win races and do well, um, not being, you know, 155
1: pounds. No, Last week, Kirk asked a question. I think it was Kirk that asked me the question and said, if I could, if OCR ended tomorrow, if it just never came back, would I continue to train like an OCR athlete? And I said, I would. And that's exactly it, right there. It's the healthiest I've ever felt. Now there is an argument that could be made that I could be a faster runner if I didn't do any of the other things and if I weighed less. But I could also make the argument that the fastest I've ever been has been as an OCR athlete. Like I yeah. ran twenty six thirty two as an eight k, my one year of college. I know for a fact I could have cut a minute off that in at any given OCR season when I was rolling well. Um, now. That doesn't mean OCR is better for an AK runner than running, but I was in a healthier overall place. And the ability to look in the mirror and be happy every day, the ability to eat in a healthy manner, the ability to feel like I can go out and do any task I want throughout the day, and I'm not going to run into an injury because I haven't moved that way in a while. It's the healthiest I've ever felt as a person. I couldn't agree more, man.
0: I went through the same thing. I graduated, had some health stuff going on, but I started college at 152 and I graduated at 138. Good God! And uh, it seems to be it seems to be a theme. I had some health stuff going on, but um, which was part of it. But I, we all did the same thing. It's just interesting how many guys come from that running background. I blew, I got up to 178 of lean mass in a, in like four years, five years, because it was just like let's let's pull it together. And it's just it's just funny how like. You know what? I wasn't even running my best at my lowest weight. I was running better once I put weight back on. I recovered better. I slept better. I felt better. A lot of people go through that too. Um, and then you find a sport like this, and then you're like, ah, oh, it all makes sense now. Like, thank God that this was created because you, you're training for something you don't even know it until it it magically appears in front of your face. At least that's how I
1: look at it. As long as we're talking weight. Man, I graduated high school at 155 pounds. I got up to that. I spent my senior year lifting for basketball and then lifting to try. I wanted to get faster. And my freshman year, I came home for Christmas and I was 139 pounds at six foot, one and a half inch.
0: Wow. And
1: that's pretty typical for a 5K or 10K runner for six feet. But it was drastic. And my parents didn't tell me at the time. Um, but later on, once I gained it back, my dad said, for the first time ever, I was worried about you. And I was away at college in control of my own diet for the first time ever. And I was running more volume and I knew I looked different. And my coach made sure to tell me that I didn't look like a distance runner. And so I went from 155 to 139 between June and December of that year. And that's pretty drastic. And then after that, when I quit that year and decided not to go back to that university, I got up to 172 by the next December. And it was that same, like you talked about we've all had this swing and I needed to swing up and I thought I was going to play baseball and it didn't work out, but I needed that in my life to get back to like homeostasis. Like I had to turn into a meathead for the summer and lift three to five times a week and do nothing but run like twenties and 30 meter dashes and try to play baseball in order to get my body back to a, a place where not only was it physically healthy, but I could look at myself and be pretty comfortable with how I looked for sure. And guys don't go through that a lot in terms of Mm -hmm. talking about it. And it's probably super important for us to hear. We all know we don't discuss females weight. And as a male coach, it's really tough to talk with a female athlete about what is your racing weight, but it should be addressed with men as well. I agree.
2: And like, honestly, I'm thankful that like 180 to 185 is kind of like my natural body weight. So like if I'm running... Cross country at 152 pounds, I'm I'm about 30 pounds under what my natural body should be. So mm. I'm I'm sitting at that right now, and thankfully that that's like conducive to like the sport that we're in, where I don't have to make any like drastic changes uh, to my body type. But the reality of the situation is, I know that there's some out there who don't have that luxury. And, you know, hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully they can you know work their way through that because it's
0: not, it's not a fun place to be in. Did you, did you go through like the whole like bodybuilding routine phase and split routines and today's chest and tomorrow's back 100% and hitting it, yeah. legs? So did I, I had years <laughs> in the, uh, in the beach muscle phase and then you can turn it into functional muscle later, like you did, of course, but there's always that sacrificial, like bro lifting period, which it's almost, you're almost embarrassed to admit it, but it kind of Kind of was part of the puzzle pieces to get you where you are today, which is just funny to think because it's so non athletic to go and sit there and do preacher curls or go sit there and do quad extensions. It's just like kind of ridiculous when you think about you know it compared to sport. You know what's funny
2: is that was kind of the style of training I was doing when I first came in to the sport. I would do, I would do like chest in the morning and then I'd go do like a 10 mile run in the afternoon. Or, you know, the next day I would do, uh, biceps and triceps and then i would go to the track later that day and do some intervals it was like this weird contrast of of like strength and bodybuilding but also still running mm-hmm. and yeah, it was weird how that produced some some good results for me in the beginning I,
0: I did i did the exact same thing my first year in the sport the exact same thing i've transitioned now and i'm guessing you have too but right. um it can still be purposeful right. yeah it can still be purposeful so um, just to shift then a little bit. So I just uh, like Bracken said, I know you were on Obstacle Dominator. Uh rest in peace, Bracken and Obstacle Dominator. Although I saw they made a surge back with a couple episodes. Won't last. Um but well
1: <laughs> I believe in you, Benny. You don't listen sweet to the masses. Uh
0: just walk me through like Spartan, like how long from college till you found your first Spartan race and i know you were pretty much all in once you found it but you had a humbling first experience right like what was yeah what was that like and how did that come to be we don't have to spend a ton of time on it but i don't think everybody knows how you found the sport so
2: i was out of school in 2008 and i did my first spartan race in 2014. so there's a six year a six year gap um during during that time i mean i was i maybe went a couple months at one point where i wasn't doing much at all but for the most part uh I was training. I mean, I was living out in California. I've got some crazy stories, man. I was working this weird job out there um, with a bunch of hippies and just a bunch of like strange characters, and it was a great time. I had a, I had a fantastic time. But I was I was training hard at the time, and I met a buddy who went to Sac State, uh, and I was I was training and going up and running unattached and at Sac State track meets uh, post collegiately. Um, Okay. Running like 5Ks and stuff, trying to break that 15 minute barrier. And again, I never, I never was able to do it, but I came close. Um, so just yeah, during that stretch, I was still working on my fitness and still working out, like doing races and things like that. So um, you know, one day and a few weeks before that first Spartan race in 2014, a buddy of mine who I, I grew up with, we were actually at a bar drinking, and he's like, this thing popped up on his phone. And he's like, yo, you need to go do this. Like this this Spartan race thing. It's it's here in Virginia. It's like an hour away from here. Um, it's perfect for you. Like it's perfect. There's gonna be running, there's gonna be like some strength stuff, like you're gonna crush it. And I was like three or four beers deep, you know, and I'm like, let me see that, you know, mm-hmm. let me see that. And I looked at it and I was just like, Oh my god, like this is this is perfect. This is this is made for me. So needless to say, I I was super cocky and was like, dude, I'm gonna go freaking crush this thing. Like, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know who Hunter was or Bear. And those were the guys who actually went one and two at that that first race, but I showed up.
0: Was it a series race? Yeah. Was it a national series there race?
2: It was an NBC oh.
0: race. And so you showed up your first one was a big boy sure. race. Yeah. And uh, Bracken, of, were you there? No, I
1: never got to run that venue. It was, it's the hardest course that I've probably ever- had. Winter, Wintergreen? Wintergreen.
0: What, is, yeah. what are you? Going to, okay. It's
1: a great regret of mine that I never raced it. Yeah. It's 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 stained in the back of my mind.
2: But um, I show up to that race, basically. I mean, it's a mountain race. I haven't done any climbing, but I'm like, dude, I'm gonna crush this thing. Like it's eight miles, I'll be done in like sixty minutes. Like, no problem. <laughs> so I went out and I let young and ignorant. If you go and watch some of that footage from that race, you'll see me actually up in front um, for probably a good third of the race maybe and just out of nowhere I'm just like nowhere to be seen again like I fully just like bonked and just fell off the face of the earth it's actually a funny story with my with my log carry um, right near the finish I these are like the heaviest logs I'd ever picked up and obviously I'd never done anything like this before so it's already catching me off guard and I pick up this log and we're going it was one where you went down the hill and then you had to come back up the other side rather than go up and then come down. You went down first and then came back. I was probably halfway down the, the incline and my log fell off, I couldn't support the weight like on my shoulder anymore. And it just fell off my shoulder and rolled all the way down the hill past the turnaround point. And oh. these <laughs> these logs had ease on them for like the elite uh, elite race. So you couldn't just pick up like a random log and just like throw it over your shoulder and carry it back up to the top. I literally was in the woods, probably 50 yards past the turnaround, searching for my stump in the woods. <laughs> and I finally found it. And had, I've never
1: heard this. Dude,
2: I finally found it and had to march it back up to the course where actually the course was and then finish carrying it up to the top of the hill. But that was the hardest thing that I'd like ever done in my entire life and that event in a whole was like the gnarliest thing I'd ever done. Some of the terrain we were running on, I was like, what is this? Like, this is, this is crazy right now.
0: Uh, do you remember having to descend like the first true gnarly descent in a Spartan race and watching other guys descend it quicker than you? Did you have that experience? Because I consider myself a good descender, and I remember now I am, but my first descent was like I couldn't even fathom how fast these guys were running down the hill. I thought I was going to die. We were
2: going through a stretch like it was like a dried out riverbed down the mountain and it was it was it was like dew on everything. So everything was slick and slippery and next thing you know, I think it was Matt Kempson comes flying by me. And at the time I didn't know who he was, but he just comes flying by me down these rocks and I'm like, "How?" I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, "How is he even doing this right now?" Like I feel like I'm aggressively Moving and like if I slip and fall, I'm gonna hurt myself. So yeah, like I mean, it was a total wake up call that like you know this sport is for real and like the people that do it are like legit. And you know even though I I think I finished finished like 21st in that race and uh, to lead yeah, the, race, you the 20th race. too. you know what man? Like it again. It was like the hardest thing I'd ever done, but that is ultimately what what got me to come back and do it again and you know, we had from that first race in, in August to my next race in November, which was in Carolina, during that stretch, I trained probably harder than like I had ever trained in my entire life. Cause I was like, dude, I'm going to be good at this and I'm willing to work as hard as I need to work. And, you know, kind of like, honestly, the rest is history. You know, I went into that second race and beat out the whole pro team and went back the following weekend in, in Dallas and did the same thing, and. Next thing you know, I'm you know talking to Robert Coble. He's inviting me on the pro team. I didn't know what that was, but I knew it was kind of cool. And you know, next thing you know, I'm getting flown out to races, and like it just it happened so fast. And um, you know, I understand that not everybody's going to have that quick of a come up, but at the same time, it's like I'd been working for so many years prior to that moment, you know, to where I was conditioned and and ready for for something like that, and um, just kind of took it by the horns and. And just been running with it ever since.
0: When I got into the sport in 2016, I looked up to you, Ryan. I look up to you, Brack. And I was following all you guys, just trying to get my bearings, thinking, I think I can I can do this sport. I knew nothing at the time. I hadn't run my first race. But it was always like, Oh, I want to be a Spartan pro. Like, I'm that's my goal. I wanna be a pro. These guys are t- I'm listening to you on podcasts and you're getting flown to races, and it sounds all like great. I don't know anybody these days that's <laughs> like, oh, like, Kemp, like, like, like Kempston just got thrown. You know, Kempston had a breakout year, gets thrown on the pro team. Like Ryan Kempston, for example, they're not fluffing his pillow and flying him to races these days. Like, is that just a thing of the past? Well, is think- that like the old Spartan and these, these glory stories come showing up to a race, crushing it, and then suddenly being on the pro team and your life changes like that? Are those days gone? My opinion is that just in the beginning, there weren't as many
2: athletes um you know when when i first came in and joined the pro team there was like eight guys and eight girls and that was it and, and bracken right. was one of them um and then it's just like slowly grown people more and more people are performing well and i think yeah i think they just have probably have more people to take care of and um i will say that first year i felt i felt like a celebrity but then after that it kind of like really fell off i didn't really feel that special
1: anymore but. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, You're right. The numbers and the depth of talent is one thing. And the other thing is that Spartans just a victim of their own success, as are the athletes. At the beginning, there was no oversight. Like Joe did whatever Joe wanted to do. And he's like, Robert Coble, you run this pro team. And if they went over on budget, then it just got covered by somewhere else. And now, like there are people that work for Spartan who have no job other than to control budgets. And they don't know the athlete. Like in the past, we knew the people controlling the budgets. We could call be like, yo, Robert, I just had this thing come up. Can I invoice this to you? He'd be like, yeah, not a problem, man. We'll run it up the flagpole. It's fine. You just invoice stuff. Yeah. I remember back in uh, when we we've landed in Oakland one time and we got robbed. And they broke into our car and they took everything. And we, Robert Coble just uh, called Joe. Joe texted back like, yeah, man, take care of it. Joe gave us his credit card, and we we went and just used it at the hotel, and we swiped for five days, and he just gave us his card for it, and he gave because they stole my credit card. Like I didn't have anything. I had my a wife who was eight months pregnant. I had a two year old kid, my brother with me, and we were out there for two weeks because there were two races with a combine in between, and he just swiped for five days of hotel, and then afterwards he found a new hotel for us. Like that's the kind of stuff that used to happen at Spart, and that was super generous to Joe, but that doesn't happen anymore because there are people that would audit Joe on that. And so this, it's just like the sport grew so big that it needed oversight. And as soon as there was oversight, they realized, Hey man, we're spending a ton of money on these guys and we're going to stop doing that.
0: Yeah. I'd rather come into it my way where I was just begging for just crumbs because like I never had that, uh, that stardom feeling. I was just getting leftovers from the very beginning. So I'm happy with the season pass and some podium incentives where I can imagine if I was being flown to races and primped and primed and treated like royalty, that the cuts in the contracts would be quite insulting. You know, I, I, am just like thankful thing. I got a contract or two. Great. But if I was treated that way early in my career, it would not be the same. No way I I would have different expectations. At first LA race in 2015, I
2: think Bracken, I raced you there. Um, I showed up there and I think Hunter was there and Matt was there. In, and dude, in Temecula, right? In Temecula at the old venue. Yeah. And dude, they were driving sport? They were driving sports cars. And I'm like, this is <laughs> this is what it's like, huh? Like you just show up, you get your flight taken care of, you're staying in a nice hotel, you're driving, you know, a Mustang freaking GT 5.0. I'm like, all right, like I can get used.
1: To you remember that? Hunter would do that every race. He'd get a Camaro or a Mustang or something at the rental agency. he's like, ah, oh, Robert's so pissed about it, but he'll put it through. <laughs> and and he did it at uh Glen Rose again that year, that he team did race. He's, yeah. He got a Camaro that time. He got a yeah, so he'd always show up because he's like, That I'll invoice it. They'll cover it. I'll tell him there was nothing else available. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a time yeah. where I had the uh ah, statute of limitations is passed. I had the Spartan corporate uh credit card and rental car code so i could go into a rental car place and just put it on joe's account and that was it because like that's how it worked it was and i I didn't abuse it but it was just word of mouth kind of stuff because the sport was so small yeah i remember they give out unlimited flights one year to a couple athletes Mm -hmm. there wasn't there wasn't thought of how much could they use it Elliot mcguire did 49 flights that year (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you know, or like fifty four. They they calculated that he had almost fifty thousand dollars in travel expenses that year because he thought, "I'm not getting this next year. I'm gonna max this baby out." So,
0: yeah, it
1: was it was a whole different unorganized Spartan back then.
0: Uh, now we're renting Ford Priuses and Mazda Miatas for twenty bucks a day just to make you know. Hey, if you're getting a Miata, you got it made. Yeah, you got it made. Um, I want to just uh, diverge from this conversation. Uh, I want to know your thoughts, Ryan, on compromised running, okay? It's something we talk about on the on the podcast a bit, and we talk about all this, like, Metcon work and these wads that you do, but we're talking rower, assault bike, stair stepper, and other stuff. Do you do compromised run work as in, like, strength work with your running and mix that in regularly?
2: I do. I do. In you the, do? Yes.
0: Uh, can Tell me more. Can you elaborate a little bit on your philosophy there? So, I mean, it's basically – I mean, think high rocks or decafit. I
2: mean, that's basically the kind of stuff that I do. Um, Usually, like once every 10 to 14 days, Um, I have a perfect loop right outside of my house. It's about 500 meters. So, if you're thinking decafit, um, that's the Mm -hmm. exact distance. And it's got like a a slight little descent to start and then coming back up back to my house, there's like a five to eight percent great coming right back into my garage which is where like all my stuff is set up but like all my neighbors laugh at me because they know when I've got all my my sled out there and my wall ball they know like this guy's just going to be running crazy around our neighborhood for the next like hour or so but Mm -hmm. um yeah man like I I 100% do compromise running workouts um we're talking like lunges uh ram burpees pull-ups thrusters Kettlebell mm-hmm. swings, works. wall balls, box jumps, sled pushes, sled pulls, sled toes, um, and sometimes I'll I break it up. I mean, I might I might change up the style of the event or, or the workout, but it's like there's going to be a strength bout, and then you're going to have to hammer a freaking 500 meter run. If I want to do two loops, I'll do two loops and make it a thousand. But mm-hmm. normally, it's it's right around 500 meters. Come right back into my garage and and pick another exercise or two, do that, and then head back out and run another hard lap. And I'm not, like, sometimes I'll, depending on the workout, I might use the lap run as a recovery jog and use the strength work as, like, the really hard stuff. But you're still kind of getting that, like, that compromised running, but maybe not to, like, the highest level. But there's definitely workouts where I'm freaking doing strength work and then hammering a run. Um, I think that's just really critical in mm-hmm. our sport. And I'm sure there's people out there that you know, don't do not do that or don't think that it, it works. But, you know, it's proven to work for me and it's proven to work for for other people. And, um, again, anything – if anything, those kind of workouts just really make running alone
0: feel so much easier. Um, it, for the perspective for alone. The, that perspective oh, is just – yeah. Do you do – um, we – we talk uh, like we have some staple workouts like we've been open about, like our OCR mile repeats. That's just we go back to a certain workout or two that we gauge our like compromise run fitness on. Now, you don't have to give away the secret sauce. We're not asking. I'm not asking for that. But do you have any like one or two? Our listeners just love to just grab onto these workouts. I mean, and try Let me out. hang on. Let me grab my my notebook is
2: within reach.
0: All right. I like it. I just want to know some of your staples. I'm curious because I look at you as one of the guys that is kind of a a steward of these compromise run workouts. I knew your answer to my question was yes. We just put out
1: a what do the pros do that maybe the average person doesn't? And you're highlighting one right here. You got your notebook, your daily journal in arm's reach. That's just like exhibit A of how you do it.
0: Yeah, there it is. So I mean, I
2: I just literally just opened up to a page here. This was may may 2nd of this year um and and i'll change the duration a lot of the times i might i'm looking for probably anywhere between somewhere around 35 to 40 minutes of of work of like super hard work so i might break that into two by 20 minutes or three by three or four by 10 minutes um but depending on whatever i want to do i'm going to break it up and and it's going to come out to about 40 minutes so like You know, like this one I did uh, a lap run and 30 reverse lunges. And the lap run is that 500-meter loop. So I would do like, you know, Mm -hmm. 500-meter, 30 reverse lunges, 500-meters, 25 box jump overs, 500-meters, 25 kettlebell thrusters, 500-meters, 100-meter farmer's carry, 500-meters, 3-by sled push. So I'd like push it up to a certain distance, let it roll back, push it up. Um, then I'd rest for like four minutes, then I'd go back and I would just change up the exercises the next round. I'd do 500 meter run, 25 Ram burpees, 500 meter run, 25 pull-ups, 500 meter run, 35 wall balls, 500 meter run, I'd come back and do another 35 wall balls. Um, I think that was when I was probably getting ready for like high rocks and, and things like that. But, um, these, what's the intensity level of we're talking like zone five, zone five for sure. Um, and you're hitting, I'm, I'm tra- probably trying to maintain somewhere around 520 pace on the runs, which seems pretty fast, um, but it's just weird. It's weird how, like, you switch from a run and you go do a strength workout and then you go back to the run. Again, it's like my body is like programmed to know, it knows more how to feel when I'm running versus like the strength work, but like I start running again and Depending on if I just did thrusters or, or not, maybe I just did an upper body exercise, like ram burpees or pull-ups or something. My heart rate has stayed high the entire time, but my legs just got a break. So it's not, it's not difficult for me, and it might be for somebody else, but it's not difficult for me to to get right back into a super fast run pace after doing even a high intensity strength work, as long as I'm not necessarily like crushing my legs. On something like if I got to go do some heavy squats or or something like that and then bust out for a run um, my legs might feel a little wobbly but um, you know like it's just I just think it's super beneficial I think it those kind of workouts are harder than going to the track and doing Kirk I know you talk about your 16 by 400 workout a lot you Mm -hmm. know like Mm -hmm. you know it's those workouts like we've said before if anything it's it's just perspective they're just way harder than really any other workout you could do by just running alone, um, because you'll be running, and then let's say you're running a mile all out, mile for time, and every 400 you need to you know stop and do a hard strength work. Like it's going to elevate your heart rate higher than you thought that it could even go, um, and and really the only way to get there is by adding weight, and, and that's just my opinion, and. You know, I, I get how some people want to steer away from from something like that, but because we're not like, you know, obstacle racing isn't isn't necessarily a decafit event. But I think there's 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 a place for it. There's a place for it in our sport. Mm-hmm. Again, it's for me. It is if anything else, because again, like all I know is I'm working hard during these these kind of workouts. I don't necessarily know what my heart rate is. I don't know what zones I'm working in. I just know that like when I'm done, I'm like. That shit was pretty freaking painful. And the next week when I like, I don't have that compromised run workout and I'm just gonna go do a track session or a tempo run or something like that, that just feels so much easier. And you know, that alone is, is really the, the reason why I like to incorporate it in my training.
1: I think there's two key things there. The first is that you're not doing this exclusively. You know, the imams are done as a second workout, or they're done in amongst two or three other quality workouts in a three week in a two-week cycle. Like you're not getting by on this alone. It's supplemental to right. what you're doing. Right. And I think I think that's important. And the second is that outside of Nicole Miracle, I don't know of anyone in this sport who has trained without having compromised running who is good at races that are 30 minutes or less. This, you can get by without compromise running if the vast majority of the race you're preparing for is just high output running, you know, beasts, mm-hmm. some supers. If it's just like Tahoe, there are guys that go out there that can do really, really well out there that don't do a step of compromise running because you don't do a lot of compromise running in Tahoe. You're compromised running, you're compromised from climbing and descending. You can get all of that in training through climbing and descending, but I'd challenge people to show me someone who's good at stadiums or sprints or DECA that does not compromise run because the shorter it gets between the obstacles, the more that skill is a necessary evil to train. But I would agree if I was training for my best beast or ultra, I wouldn't have to do a whole lot of compromised running, but that's not what you're training for. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of that, do you, is your heart lie with this high rocks DECA fit, uh, Sort of venture now as they hopefully uh, resume or do you still want to go play in the mud and keep that a focus here? You know, I thought
2: I thought for the longest time that I was ready to, to shift away and, and, and focus on DecaFit and High Rocks. But honestly, after watching you guys race in Jacksonville and not being there, I just had that itch again, man. Like I just wanted to get back out there. And I think I think I'm like super excited for DecaFit if and when it ever gets to take place, um, but I think my heart and soul lies in just like the, the standard mud run, uh, gnarly trail terrain, um, that's just, I think that's what makes me the happiest, but I definitely enjoy that style of training, um, I like doing that kind of work, and it, you know, thankfully it suits, suits a guy like me, um, but at this point I'll take anything. It really, if anything gets put though on the schedule, I'll freaking and I'll train for that. So, whatever whatever's coming up,
0: if you get, um, because this year you had a Decafit contract, I believe. Um, I, I'm assuming there, but um, just with all the photos no. of you that were put out by Decafit, yeah. None. Um, none. So, if you were offering Decafit, wait, nothing. Front, did
1: that get all revoked? Yeah, it did. And,
2: um, oh. I'm not 100% happy with the way that that went down. Um, we don't have to get into like the crazy details, but, uh, they basically reduced my, the plan was to have my monthly stipend to be reduced by 75%, which was a major cut. Like, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right, whatever. Like, I get it. Like, these are the times that we're in. Like, I'll, I'll adjust like this sucks, but like, it is what it is. I'll make it work. And then just out of nowhere, it just, nothing was coming, nothing. And I wasn't getting emails or anything from anybody about why or like what had happened. And I'm like, I'm sending emails out to people, trying to get some answers. I'm like, Hey man, like I'm owed X amount of dollars. Like, where is it? And Nobody's getting back to me. And it was just kind of super frustrating how, how that all played out. But I know that I know the people running the show are are good
0: people and they never had any
2: like ill intentions behind it. But
0: it's been a theme that it's been hard to get answers via email. I would say this year, yeah. you, it's you gotta send a lot of them before yeah. you get a response, unfortunately. That's yeah. devastating to go from
1: a small, in our sport, a small windfall with a, your Decafit signing to getting nothing. Thinking, all right, I'm set for a year. I can go train and race, I'm set for a year or two. All right, back to square one. You know, and, and not to dive into too
2: much off of a tangent, but like when I, when I signed that contract, we decided to move out of our apartment and move into a house. And I dished out a lot of money, and knowing that I had, I was set for a year. I wasn't tripping. I'm like, dude, I'll get that back in a couple of months. I'll be fine. Obviously, that didn't happen, mm-hmm. which ultimately forced me to take the path that I'm on right now. Um, so, yeah, man, it's it's a strange time we're living in right now, and you know, people are having it to is. make make adjustments, and um, just like I am, you know, Spartan and DecaFit and all the people involved. I'm sure they're, they're having to make you know, the same adjustments and changes and we Mm all just have to just adapt on the fly. And you know what, that's, that's really the epitome of what we are as a, as a community, right? Like we, we know how to overcome obstacles and adapt and know that I'm sure that's what we're all going to do.
0: I think it's just a little unfortunate that those contracts seem to be just one-sided. Like there's repercussions if you don't follow your end of the bargain, but they can easily just pull out and there's no, there's no, Ability to take legal action or have them follow through because the cost of, you know, pursuing right. that would out, would way out benefit what they're paying you, anyways. It's just tough to see that. Like you, you wish for better, or at least a conversation. And I know they're struggling too, but kind of bums me out to hear that, if I'm being honest a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to ask, not to, we don't have to dwell on the downside, I guess, but I have one thing to add to that. Oh, you do? Okay. Ryan, and without throwing Spartan under the bus,
1: you had to repay something in the past to Spartan, haven't you, with a contract violation? Oh, yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> am I, I, I
1: elaborating on that? Are you what? Am I elaborating on that? You don't have to. I just think it's interesting. Like It, again, speaks to your character that I remember you and I sat and had a pretty serious conversation about being in a certain financial place and suddenly having to pay Spartan back because of I don't recall what exactly it was, not showing up to a race and then getting your stipend, having to pay your stipend for that month back or whatever it was. Like you made your your reparations to Spartan in a situation and now you're kind of out to dry. So again, not to belabor the point, but other people would have gotten nasty online about it. Uh, Not only did you take the hit, but you've given back in that circumstance and now the tables turned and the same thing didn't happen. So again, you took the high road and you didn't just air your dirty laundry on social media and that's commendable i aired it right here on this podcast <laughs> that's right but we we fished it out you didn't come on here with an agenda so go ahead kirk i wanted to i wanted to make sure people understood that he he took a high
0: road here my uh my video's messing with me there's like a delay i'm like five seconds behind so i didn't know when to jump in um no i just want to know so if you're offered a DECA contract next year, but not like a, a, a lucrative Spartan pro contract for the general series, you said maybe you want to go play in the mud with your friends again. Would you maybe say no to a DECA contract if that pulled you away from U.S. National Series races? You know what? Do you think like, your love for that is enough? I'm at a point now where like
1: – and I'm sure
2: anybody who's been you know partnered with Spartan for many, many years, they're they're just – there comes a time when you're just like kind of fed up with with a lot of this stuff, um, but you deal with it, you know, because that's just kind of how the business works. But like, if this UPS thing works out, which I I think it will, and it's going to provide me uh, all the financial income that I could need. Like, I honestly don't see. I I, I can say no to things now, you know. Like, if, if somebody wants to offer me a contract, and be, I'm like, no, like you're going to give me this or like, I'm not doing it. You know, it's like rather than taking whatever they give you, it's like, now I can just be like, you know, whatever. Like I don't, I don't need it. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to say no that I wouldn't sign like a fit deal or a Spartan contract. But I, I think next year I'm going to be in the position where I'm just like, I might just show up to whatever races I want to show up to, you know, like if I got to pay my own way to get there, then so be it. And maybe that takes a lot of stress off me as well you know like I don't have all these other obligations um to hold up to and I think that's probably a place that I've been for quite some time now where I'm just like I wish I could kind of like do my own thing but like you're kind of like tied to it in a way because you know they're they're helping you out and giving you some sort of income but um, you know if this UPS thing works out you know, that's that's going to be my primary source of income and then the racing and everything on top of that can, can just be whatever it is. You know, I'm not I'm not concerned about the money I make over there when I got this other thing over here.
0: I can't imagine the stress, of the financial stress layered in and directly tied to performance and contracts and athletics, especially because it's not like we're dealing with multi million dollar contracts guaranteed over years like professionals in other sports. I just think that stress, like alleviating that could just open up a lot of possibilities for even racing better. I just know that I feel really good about, I worked hard to build a business and I can go race for fun and it kind of leaves the spirit of it the way it should be. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the spirit of racing is to feel like a kid again and still pursue an athletic endeavor, but it has no ties to finances and it's kind of a liberating thing. So I, I don't know. I'm actually really optimistic for you, if I'm being honest with your situation. Appreciate it, guys. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Well, and the, the stats are on your side. If you look back, just on the male side, of the nine years that Spartan Race World Championship has been held, there have been four men on the podium that did not have kids. And only one World Championship winner ever who didn't have a child, and that was Albin. So you have Albin, Atkins, Matt Murphy. No, Matt Murphy does have kids. I don't know if he did at the time. He has kids now. And Hunter McIntyre. And I believe those are the only four people to ever make a world podium that yeah. did not have children. And, and or,
2: or had a full-time job, you know, because I know Cody, yeah. Cody had a job, uh, Hobie
1: obviously had a job, Killian working in, you know, military. Oh, so, I mean, anybody out there that thinks- My only a- podium I ever made worldwide I was a full-time teacher. Granted, that was before the sport got big, but yeah, you're, you're practically a shoo-in now. You have a full-time job and a kid, like you're, you're on a podium at World's. Yeah right. Yeah, that's it. That's all I needed. So my last question for you then is about that child. You talked about the fact that your dad was was an a strongly active person in your development, and some people on the outside thought it was too much, but you appreciated it after the fact. How does that shape what you're going to do as a father? That's a deep question. Um, it's an important one. Question. Yeah, I
2: mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm going to take away. Some of the things that my dad did good for me, um, some things that I, I really think that he did a great job in raising me, and then there's other areas where I feel like, you know, not just my dad, my mom, my mom as well, um, where, you know, I, I think that they could have done things a little bit differently, and I'm just hoping that I can kind of mold that into like my own way of of raising my kids, you know, like again, like you are your parents' kids, so you're going to get some of the the traits and characteristics and stuff. Um, of what what you grew up on. But like, you know, I remember a lot of the things that I wish my parents probably would have done differently. You know, I, I don't my parents really weren't like the heart to heart kind of people. It was kinda of like just like, you know, if you're you know, for example, like if you're sick, like fucking deal with it and you, you still gotta go to work. You still gotta go to school. Like, you know, that's just kind of the mentality. And we didn't talk about our feelings a lot. Like we weren't very open so, you know, that's one thing I like about my relationship with Sarah is that like we were able to talk a lot and we're, we're good at communicating and um, I'm sure I'm going to be hard on my kids at times, but I definitely want to be a little sensitive and a little softy when when I need to be because, um, you know, I kind of wish that was there for me when I was a kid. Um, so, You know what? It's just—it's going to be a whole learning experience. You know, I'm sure I'm going to learn some things along the way. Bracken, you—you can probably, you know, testify to that. Is like you'll probably do some things and realize that oh, that didn't work, or you know, I need to try some new things. And um, it's just going to be a whole fun experience. And I'm like really, really looking forward to it. And it's crazy to think that. First of all, it's crazy to think that it's been eight months since I last did a race, but now it's going to be crazy to even think that the next time I race, I'm going to have a kid. yeah, man. It's going to be crazy. I'm, I'm like, I'm super excited though. Cause I have seen, I've seen some races where, you know, some of the athletes kids are, are there at the finish line, racking your one of them, um, you know, supporting their dad, like as they race, like I'm looking forward to those moments where I can bring my kids to the race and they can be like, Hey, my, that's my daddy. Like he just, he just won that race. Like that's going to be super cool for me. Yeah. Didn't really think that that would be, you know, something that, that I, thought would happen. But you know what, here we are. And like, I'm excited that like my kid will get to see their dad, like doing something that they love. Whereas like, you know, if I had a kid five years from now, I might have been like out of my prime and not able to see that kind of stuff. So
1: yeah, man, it's Mm -hmm. gonna be fun. Well, you're about to enter a stage of life where you get more unasked for advice than you could ever want in your life. So I'm just gonna kick it off for you right now. All right. (laughs) All you need to know about parenting you already know about training parenting is training for endurance sports that's it there are a million different styles out there and they all work as long as they hit the core components of what's needed to build a a perfect athlete you can screw up in training you can screw up in parenting but if you have your core pieces solid Right. All those little ancillary pieces can be played with. You'll have some, some training plans that don't go totally according to plan, but if your aerobic and anaerobic and strength development were there, you come out the other side okay for it. And just like injuries, just like overtraining, it is always easier to build more freedom or volume in than to try to take it away later. And that's all you need to know about parenting right there. That's it. If and you can design a training plan, you can parent a child.
2: You need to write a book on that. The correlation That's between right. parenting and, and training an endurance athlete.
1: Yeah. It doesn't matter what style you choose if your pure columns of sturdiness That makes sense. Are
2: there. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. I'm sure I'm going to be calling you. I'm going to be calling you and be like, uh, Bracken, so like I'm in this situation right now. What do I do? You're an athlete. Yeah, man.
1: I failed with
0: three different kids. I can help you with yours. <laughs> <laughs> I get, when, when one of your advice is, you don't have a treadmill, do you, Ryan? You might want to invest in one of those for your home, huh? That'd be one of the first tips I'd go. Why? Because
2: I'm gonna have to yep. fit in all my workouts here. Or yep.
0: Well, oh
2: yeah. Fortunately, I have trails right outside of my house here, so um, I'm able to just like leave from my house. But I guess if there's a case of an emergency, right, you need to be at home. You can't be like yep. two miles away on a trail. That's right. So,
0: it's not every workout, but I don't have kids, but um, a number of my athletes do, and I'll tell you what. The the number of situations that pop up for my uh, athletes without a treadmill, that somehow they're stuck pigeonholed, modifying the plan or not be able to get something in because their wife or their husband had to go do something and they're now at home. And I'll tell you, those situations are going to pop up. I've heard them secondhand hundreds of times <laughs> now. So something to think about.
1: No matter how close your trails are, if you have to be there when the kid wakes up or what's the bed or throws up, you got to be in the house. I'm, dude sarah's gonna take
2: care of all of that for me <laughs> then, then you're set. Oh, good luck. you don't need a thing then you're set um <laughs> uh,
0: i just want uh i guess about wow, two hours it's been a nice conversation i um i just want to know who's uh you know i think it's fair to ask who's all still supporting you and having your back yeah, dude. these days even though this been a tough year um who's taking care of you ryan these days sponsors family anybody you for one when we started this podcast you probably saw
2: me sipping on something that was that was an athletic brew um those guys those guys have been phenomenal um let me just say and i i never thought i would be one of these people when you work a, a a nine to five job uh even though i don't really work nine to five it's more like eight to six but Um, I never thought I'd be one of those people where I'd get home from work and I'd be like, fuck, man, I need a beer. Dude, I need something to take the edge off. And I've become one of those people, man. I get home, you know, my workouts, I double sometimes, but normally I get my workout done, you know, in in the morning. And I get home from work and I'm able to just sit down and relax. I'm like, I need a beer. But I don't want to like drink anything that's going to compromise my workout for like the next day. You know, i got to wake up super early. So these athletic brews have been like my saving grace because like I get home from work and I easily put down like two or three of those bad boys every single day, but they had the chance to run during COVID um, and, and not support me, but they have been unbelievably gracious uh, throughout this time and everybody over there at athletic brewing. If they listen to this, man, I can't thank you guys enough. Y'all have helped me through an extremely hard time. And for that, I'm, you know, grateful. And you know what's funny is I had a post scheduled for those guys the other day you probably saw it on Instagram and they sent me a text the day before I was like hey just so you know you got a, a post scheduled for the next day and I told him I was just like I know like I have an alarm set for you guys like there's not a time then like I honestly wouldn't come through for them because they've done so much for me and there's just not a lot of companies out there that, that do that for their for their athletes so stand up stand up guys stand up company and and super grateful for them and obviously my girlfriend man she's she's the number one soon to probably be right there but Uh um, (laughs) she's 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 the best man she's she's stood by me through through everything and uh super grateful to have her uh by my side and um yeah man that's it
0: i've been on the uh I've been on the unwinding with a drink train since 2015 after work, except I should probably switch over to the NA beer. So I might uh, go knock on their door. You know, it's funny. I feel like there's got to be a
2: placebo effect because I for sure feel like kind of tipsy afterwards. And I'm like, wait, is there there alcohol on this thing? (laughs) It's
1: all that matters. You know, companies that have stood by their athletes is so impressive during this time. And I don't blame the, the companies who haven't. Um, I recently, last month, I got uh, dropped by one of my remaining sponsors. And I don't blame them. Not one bit. It was the smart business call to make. I'm not a huge draw in terms of like social media presence. And we're not bringing any real race uh, media into them right now. So I get it. But the fact that someone isn't dropping athletes, and continue to support during the hardest time that our country has seen financially in a long, long time really speaks to them as a company, and that's not a slight against the companies that haven't, but it's a feather in the cap to those who have. Absolutely. How do those things taste? By do they the way? taste? Do you
0: enjoy. I mean, obviously you've never had one.
1: No, I'm not. They taste just like if you took a sip of it,
2: you'd be like, "Dude, this is like five percent beer." Like it, it. I mean, it has a beer taste. It tastes like there's alcohol in it. Like everything about it tastes like a normal beer you just don't get drunk off of it like it's just it's weird and like it's it's crazy like you wouldn't you wouldn't think that it would... i could get behind that and it's like if it didn't taste like a beer or it just like i'd be like i don't know man but like you pour it you drink it up man it's like this legit tastes like a beer and it kind of surprises you the first time you drink it
1: but and then i guess you're not limited to only drinking it when you can be safe to drink alcohol you can have it whenever you want Right, me driving down the highway next to a cop. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that sounds like good post-workout recovery to me. That'd be—I'd bring one of those babies at the track with me. Guzzle that thing down after. Well, I was gonna do—I was
2: gonna do y'all's beer mile that y'all had, um, and I, that's what I was gonna use. I was gonna use the Athletic Brew, but
0: um, oh, you would have swept. You would have cleaned up. I think. I don't know, man. There was
2: didn't like Jack Bauer put down a pretty good time. He put down like a six ten or something. Like that's pretty solid.
0: Yeah. I don't know
2: if I could beat that,
0: to yeah. be quite honest. Colorado State record. Like, I'm gonna smash that. Oh, whatever. You ran like 14 minutes. I walked
1: 14 minutes. Imagine what I'm gonna do when I can run. I'm gonna destroy you, Jack Bauer. <laughs> you know what's funny is I had him drink. I had him drink an Athletic Brew one time
2: after a workout we did together, and because um, he, dude, he didn't bring any water to this workout, right? And I'm like, dude, you're an idiot. So he's dying at the end of it. I'm like, hey, I got an Athletic Brew. In my car, you can have that. Like something wet on your lips, and he didn't know that it wasn't alcoholic. Like so, he's just drinking it, dude. And he's bouncing off the wall afterwards. And I'm like, he's like, dude, I feel kind of drunk. And I'm like, Jack, there's no alcohol, dude. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> like relax. <laughs> so, gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of a funny story, but placebo effect is real.
0: It is. It is. All right. We uh, I think this might be our longest episode yet. It is. We have our, our longest is 158. Well, Kent, look what you did. Congratulations. Dang. And it's been full of good stuff. We didn't man. even get into
2: the nitty gritty. We didn't even talk about the selection. We didn't even talk about. I, I mean, we could we I mean, look, we're three friends. We like chatting. We could probably go on for hours, to be quite honest.
0: You know, not to interject in my own life, but I'm a little nervous. Um, ABC has been doing the best of the bachelor series lately. And my season of the bachelorette is on on Monday night, this next week. And yeah. I'm about to get dumped on national TV all over Hold on, again. So, so I've actually, look, I know about your
2: history with this, but I've never actually seen yeah. it. Like, so yeah. when is it going to be on? Cause I'm going to watch it.
0: Monday night, this next Monday, so this would be like I don't know what four three days after this episode release. Uh, they're doing like a two-hour abbreviated version of like their favorite seasons, and so the season I was on at This Girl Alley will be on on Monday. I think it's seven central. I don't know. I haven't watched it honestly in six years, maybe. I'm gonna have to watch myself like make out on TV again and then get dumped oh, and bring her home to my family and all that. It's gonna be entertaining. Go. I will be. I will be. Oh yeah, I'll be having a real beer in my hand though. I'm not doing that athletic brew for this. I need a, I need to numb the uh, the intensity what's, of that. What's old?
2: So, what's Jess gonna think?
0: Oh, she's on board. We're gonna make it. <laughs> that's a strong, confident woman
1: right there. Everybody heard it. Yeah. Monday night. Tune in. Enough,
0: enough about that. All right.
1: Hey man, great catching up. We're gonna do this again. I think all three of us know that. So this isn't goodbye. This is just until later. See you later, boys. <music>